The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. I've been waiting for you, Obi-Wan. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but a listener, but now I am the podcaster. Only the podcaster of the Dark Times, Doth. Welcome back to the Dark Times podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite weapon smuggling nerf herder. And I'm Steven, your favorite scruffy looking spice hoarder. There we go. Sam, you done fucked up. I've been uh, arrested for podcast crimes, yeah. dragged down the street, shot in public. As a play, as a droid player myself, I've fucked up. You know what? You know what? It's not that I've fucked up. It's that I've put this limitation on myself to help me do better as a, as a droid <laughs> by never second winning. It's like a religious experience. I'm at taking this point. your droid player card. My droid player card. <laughs> yellow, yellow card. Ten, ten yards. <laughs> Folks, many of you wrote in and we heard you loud and clear. I'd missed it. Sam messed up. Last episode, Sam claimed that droids cannot second wind. This is not the case, of course, because droids can second wind because they are heroes. Being a droid does not make them any less of a hero than the rest of them. Unless they have non-heroic levels. Unless they have non-heroic levels, but then they wouldn't be a hero. So, yes, last week we said droids can't second wind. Yes, that is completely false. We fucked up. We got this. Uh, we got, we got, heard from a lot of you, like I said, but we got this letter from Doug reading aloud now. Uh, longtime patron in front of the show, Doug, of course. As a longtime droid player, I can assure you that droids can second wind. While they do not have a con score, they still get a quarter of their hit points back when they second wind. Heroic characters get second wins. Page 146 of the Saga Edition Core Rulebook describes the rules for second wind, saying only heroic characters can catch a second wind. Non-heroic characters, creatures, objects, devices, and vehicles cannot. Now, droids can be heroic characters. I really wouldn't consider them creatures, objects, or devices, and they're definitely not vehicles, mostly. I would expect droids to be called out separately here if they were unable to use a second wind, despite being played as a heroic character. I don't know whether that was part of why you thought they couldn't, but they can, and they're heroic characters. Emphasis, my own. Thank you, Doug. Yes, thank you, Doug. I'm sorry for the crimes. It won't happen again. Um, I Also, someone pointed out the droid oil bath allows droids to take an, another uh, second win. Yeah, I saw that. This was this is one of those funny droid accessories that, like, isn't a boondoggle that you attach to your, your droid friend. It's like a Yeah, it's not ass. bling. It's uh... <laughs> <laughs> Let's pull it up here. I'd like to, to read a little bit about it. The droid oil bath is found in the Saga Edition Scavenger's Guide to Droids. It's, like we said, a droid accessories classified with the miscellaneous systems. Costs 500 credits, and it has a weight of 600 times the cost factor of your droid. That's, like, almost always one kilograms. Droids look forward to an oil bath after a long period of work. This standard maintenance procedure lubricates the droid's servos and joints, allowing the droid to move as if it has just come off the assembly line. A droid oil bath is recommended at least once a week for a droid working in a harsh environment and once a month for a droid working in a temperate climate or on board a ship. A droid immersed in an oil bath for at least 30 minutes can activate a second wind, even if it has already done so that day. The price of a droid oil bath depends on the size of the droid. Small droids and smaller, 100 credits. Medium droids, 1,000. Large, 5,000. And huge droids and larger, which, I mean, holy crap. 
Can you imagine a huge droid oil bath? That's 10,000 credits. <laughs> like a full canal of oil. <laughs> Seriously. Um, I'm surprised we didn't see during our droid bounty like a full like health tank droid. Ooh, it's easy to make a tanky droid. That would be fun. Well, because if the oil bath gets you a second extra wind and you can take the extra extra wind feet for a third extra uh, a third second wind <laughs> per day. That's a lot of hit points. Seriously. Steven. I mean, I don't know how to incorporate the droid oil bath into a build per se. It's an accessory. Yeah, but like well, okay, you're right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. If you can if I can include like make and enhanced uh, tech specialist stuff in my droid build, I think I can include a droid oil bath. Of course, but I'm just more so I'm getting after like you can't do that in combat. <laughs> no, no, no. You you only have to do it that day, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. But like no one's going to be taking a bath in the middle of a shootout. Steven never takes a bath. Is what I'm hearing. <laughs> you never take an oil bath in the middle of a shootout, Steven. <laughs> like a like a street fighter scene, you know, like where they're in the, in the bathhouse fighting. Oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> Steven. Uh, let's let's we done a lot of talking about like encounters, yeah. know, like combats. Most All of the, the show, the I'd meat. Say. The, that's like the yeah. real meat of Swissy. But what about the? The palate cleanser. The, the between how do bits? I, yeah, how do I clean my palate after, after your, enjoying my meat? grocery store sushi? Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're right, Sam. We talk an awful lot about blasting stormtroopers and or battle droids, depending on your preference. What happens after? Well, according to the core rulebook reading here, as a general rule, a challenging yet fair encounter should net the hero's resources equal to their average level times 2,000 credits to be divided equally among them. Ah, yes, we have arrived at the loveliest part of any RPG, the loot, the rewards, the cash. This is all sourced from the game mastering section in the core rulebook. I can't remember the page number, but crack open that table of contents. Why don't you check out the index? Yeah, it's not up to me. Idiot. To tell you. <laughs> why do I got to tell you the page number? You have the book. Open it. Do some reading. <laughs> so, Sam, the, the thing that always stands out to me about this rule is that. A challenging encounter should net the heroes resources equal to their average level times 2000 credits. That is interesting. That's weird, right? Because the reward is scaling off of the party's level where in most RPGs, it scales off of the encounters level. Yeah. Or the levels of the baddies. A little further reading shed some light on this. Easy encounters may deliver half as many resources or none at all. Difficult encounters should give 50% more at least. You don't have to hand out resources at the end of the encounter. Often it's best to save the hero's rewards until the end of the adventure in the form of a lump sum payment given to them for completing their adventure's goals. So the key part of that I wanted to talk about was difficult encounters should give 50% more at least. Swissy is very loosey-goosey about what constitutes a difficult encounter that usually means an encounter with an average CL about two levels greater than the party's average level. So CL five heroes, that's a CL seven encounter would be considered especially challenging for them. So what you would do then say your level five heroes beat a CL seven encounter to calculate their credits. You would do five times 2000 that's 10,000 and then 50% more of that for a challenging encounter, baby that's 1500 to be split among them evenly. Steven, yeah. I real I recognize what this is. What? I'm I'm mistaking a lack of hand holding for a lack of guidance. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm so used to my tabletop RPGs telling me exactly to the fucking copper piece how, how much loot I get from killing some goblins. Atta boy. That's what I like I'm, to hear. Steven, you hear it? I'm breaking free of my shackles and limitations uh, brought on by modern uh, tabletop gaming. Uh, <laughs> Dude, break your chains and the force will set you free. Am I right? We're, oh my, that was who said that? That's the Sith code. The Sith code. <laughs> That's metal as fuck. Yeah, let me double check. But I'm pretty I sure it was a Fleetwood Mac line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, through victory, my chains are broken. The force shall set me free. That's still fucking raw as shit. Yeah, you haven't played. You've played not much of Coder. I'm right? still going through. Okay, Coder, that's, yeah. that's from Coder. So. But yes, Sam, you're right. The, I think the big message that that short paragraph is sending is that you're going to have to feel it out. It's yeah. going to be up to you to figure out how much your party deserves. How much resources do you want your party to have access to? Every credit you give them is going to be spent probably on the most powerful weapon or tool they can buy. So this is a way of able to modulate your party's power level to the desired level. Absolutely. You have your hand on the throttle. You don't need a loot table. What the fuck is that? Swiss doesn't have any loot tables. No. You see a single loot table in this book? No. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Frantically <laughs> flipping through pages <laughs> trying to find the loot table. Uh, no. No. <laughs> and, you know, that's why Swissy is great because it gives you that fine control over your party's loot. The flip side is that inexperienced GMs, especially first time GMs, don't really have the confidence or really the knowledge to understand that they are holding the throttle for the party's power level when it comes to loot in Saga Edition. It's like encountering a new toilet for the first time. You're just on or a shower, you know, you're unsure how to use it. You don't know if you're doing it right. Swissy's loot system is the bidet of loot <laughs> systems. Yeah, okay, I'm glad we, we looped it back around. That's great. Yeah, it really is the bidet. Because the first time you're scared, you're not sure how it's going to feel. But yeah, it's the bidet of loot systems. And like we said, this is a little quirky. This is uh, maybe not unique, but definitely different. Uh, most RPGs calculate rewards directly from the levels of enemies or their encounters. But here, that onus, per usual, is on the Game Master. And I love it because it, it means you don't have to spend... I like how Ray recommends waiting till the end of the adventure yes. to hand out loot. Yes, because there's nothing that'll break the pacing of your story quite like finishing a really epic, challenging encounter and then being like, um, okay, guys, let me flip through the loot table. Okay, oh, are you level seven? Oh, no, 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 you're level eight. That's right. Okay, um, um, two potions of healing. Okay, and you found <laughs> a, okay, there's a plus two, um, silver short sword. Yeah, no. Ah. Save that shit to the end of the adventure so you can take care of it in your downtime. Of course. Now, the other cool thing, Sam is that that paragraph we read off about encounter rewards didn't say half as much credits for a challenging encounter, 50% more gold doubloons for a challenging encounter. It said resources. Yeah. Yet again, the vagueness of this has given us a whole world with which to work. Resources being favors or or uh, vehicles or anything, you know? Anything you can imagine. Obviously, your mind goes straight to money. Money is what players want. Money is what I want. Money is what you want. Yeah. Money is great because it's essentially freedom for players to elect how they spend those resources. In the words of the great Homer Simpson, money can be exchanged for goods and services. <laughs> and the core rulebook reads that resources can take several different forms. For the purpose of comparison, all resources are measured in credits. 
For many characters, no reward is better than cold, hard cash. This category includes credit vouchers, electronic deposits of credits into a character's account, if the character owns a credit chip, credit coins, or trade goods, often precious metals. We'll talk about trade goods and resources more broadly in a little bit, but right now I want to focus on credits. First off, did you know about the credit chip? Oh, absolutely. I, all my, almost all my characters who are uh, any semblance of uh, kind of modern with the galaxy in the sort of era. Like a contemporary inhabitant. A contemporary inhabitant. Yeah, yeah. they're usually going to have a credit chip. Okay, that's good. And you're right. Um, I didn't really know about the credit chip until I think I had already ran my first like 1 to 20 campaign. Because it's one of those things, kind of like the holster and for some people a hyperdrive, that it's just a completely hand-waved part of, of the game. Like, you don't think like, oh, they better make sure they have their credit chips or else they can't get money. Yeah, well... That's not the first thought that comes to mind. <laughs> well, it's the... There's people who don't play with the weight system, you know, for yeah. equipment. And... Credits weigh things, Stephen. I don't know if you're. I don't know if you're new here, but currency has weights, <laughs> especially metal currency. It, it's got weight, Stephen. Oh yeah, absolutely. Credit chip really mitigates a lot of that weight. Another thing I like about the credit chip is, well, first of all, it details some very interesting and dubious rules for hacking your credit chip that effectively have no chance of working, which I think is is perfect. Another thing the credit chip is good for, and we dealt with this just last night, is that it's a great and easy way for you to take. All of your party's money at once. Oh, yeah. Because pickpockets <laughs> exist. Absolutely. If someone depends on a credit chip to make transactions, then you can just swipe that shit from them. One credit chip is all it takes. Some some peoples would have multiple. Let's say a arms dealer with a with a, a secret identity might have or like a different persona would have a separate credit chip. Absolutely. And I'm sure if you like lose or get your credit chip damaged, I'm sure it might you gotta just call be, the bank. Yeah, it takes like, like three to like, five business days. Yeah, they can't freeze it though. Is the thing <laughs> that, that, that would be so? Oh, that would be a mess. <laughs> Star Wars universe, but they can't freeze your credit chips. You travel faster than light speed, but they can't freeze your credit card when it's stolen. And well, they can't save a woman from childbirth apparently either. Hey, she died from sadness. <laughs> they can't save you from that either. <laughs> um, another little quirky thing I thought about is a credit chip is a piece of equipment and therefore can be upgraded or modified. I thought about like, what about a smarmy gambler who's upgraded his credit chip with a cheater? You know about the cheater upgrade? I'm not familiar. No. Oh, okay. So the cheater is from scum and villainy. It's a universal upgrade costs 500 credits. It's only costs one upgrade point and its availability is you guessed it, baby illegal. A cheater is a handheld device designed to allow you to cheat at the popular gambling game of Sabak. Because they are illegal and likely to get you killed to boot, cheaters are usually disguised and added to another piece of functional equipment, like a credit chip. While you use a cheater, you gain a plus two equipment bonus to the wisdom check made to determine the outcome of gambling. You have to make a stealth check opposed by any observer's perception checks to conceal the use of a cheater, but you gain a bonus on your check determined by the object's size. Generally, cheaters are placed in fine-sized objects, such as credit chips or comlinks, granting a plus 10 size bonus to stealth checks to conceal their use. However, if anyone beats your wisdom check in a sabat game by six or more, that person realizes you must be cheating somehow, though they won't know exactly how, often leading to a demand for a search of your possessions. Oh, so like Lando in the Solo movie, I guess his is his clothing has a cheater embedded in Precisely. it. Precisely. Maybe that was his wrist computer or something. Oh, yeah. Lines. But yeah, his it. armor, perhaps. Yeah, but absolutely. 
That's super cool. Um, wow, Steven, another piece of equipment that really just makes the gambler talent uh, absolutely oh, yeah, fucking obsolete. Oh, yeah, the gambler talent's even worse now. You can just get a cheater. Oh, my God. Oh. Anyone... <laughs> Anyone who has the stealth skill trained or skill focused is automatically better at gambling than anyone with the gambler talent. <laughs> so last night you guys uh, ran afoul of, of a hut on Point Nadir. Um, this particular hut, uh, I was looking over her stat block because she's part of the encounter. Guess what one of her talents is? The gambler talent? Fucking gambler. That's I'm like, so oh, this will be funny. such a cool encounter. I love huts. This will be fun. Probably a great buffer intimidation build influencer, right? No. Maybe. No. <laughs> gambler they're like oh fuck it uh gambler <laughs> thank you it's a good entry-level scout talent a scoundrel talent i guess uh, or not really when knack is right there like yeah what well, knack would make you better at gambling <laughs> it would make you better at gambling than fucking gambler does a reroll. yeah it's way better than a plus two. Ugh. so funny well i think we've disparaged gambler enough for this episode <laughs> yeah. but next week next week more gambler hate <laughs> The Dark Gambler podcast. So along the same lines of credits and currency, this is kind of implied by the, the paragraph in the book as well. Early episodes of The Mandalorian gave us a glimpse into a very realistic conundrum in a vast galaxy far, far away. Uh, there would absolutely be a myriad of currencies and different ways to trade and exchange them. What were the Mon Calamari currency called? Were or? they called Kala? No, it was like... Uh. Flam or something. Oh yeah, flam, flam. All I know, yeah, flan. It was that was flan. a really cool name. For... Oh, was it flan? Flan's a dessert. Yeah, yeah, but I think it was called flan. Might be. Yeah, it's weird. They were squishy. <laughs> yeah, they were a little. They were kind of opalescent and like they yeah, that was kind of weird. They were like Tide pods, almost. I kind of liked them a lot. They, I wanted to hold them. <laughs> they look so unorthodox to carry around. Seriously, they look like the worst kind of fucking currency you could imagine. How do you achieve space travel if your currency looks like fucking this? <laughs> Like, like legit, like fucking silicon cubes. They remind me of like little like shells. It made sense for like an underwater society. It kind of makes sense. Yeah, yeah, but they're fucking huge. Yeah, they were massive. They looked really cumbersome. They probably had different denominations for different sizes. Absolutely. Though. I can only imagine those were like a particularly large and uncommon denomination, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, hilarious, though. But yeah, uh, alternative currencies are fun to play with, and you can make up fun names like Mon Califlon. Throw your players some obscure, weird currency that perhaps is very valuable, but useless in the core worlds. Oh, you mean like Watto in uh, The Phantom Menace saying Absolutely. that he won't use Republic credits? Another great example from the source He needs material. something more real. <laughs> like Mon Califlon. Yeah. <laughs> they probably taste good. <laughs> okay, I'm glad you said it. I, I thought that I was going too far. Yeah, well, because I said, already said they look like Tide Pods, <laughs> so I didn't want to go there. But yes. <laughs> Yes, they look delicious. There, I said it, damn it. Buddy looks tasty. <laughs> I thought that when I was a kid. I used to have a quarter collection, and I was old enough to know that I shouldn't put them in my mouth, but I would stare at the quarter collection like a mask in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> on weed. Apparently, uh, Canadian dollars, uh, the physical like paper dollars, yeah. smell like maple syrup. That's what I've heard, too. I don't know if that's true or not. I, it sounds like something that would be completely false, but... I mean, maybe you know, it's who knows? true. It's any Canadians right in? Yeah. Any, any, any Mon Calamarans right in? Does your money <laughs> taste good? I need to know. They look like scallops. They do. We got to move on. <laughs> Trade goods. This was the, the star of the show. This was kind of a subcategory here that I got kind of excited about when I was doing research for this episode. Um, I think you should use trade goods liberally with your party. And I'll tell you why. Sam, where can the lovely folks find trade goods in their core rule books and the wiki? 
I don't know, Steven. That's I'm fine. sorry. <laughs> I, 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 is there a, uh, is it like a treasure section or something? Yeah, there's actually there's a great table in the core rule book. Oh, uh, that's great. Yeah, I think it may be part of the game mastering section as well. If not, it's in the equipment section. Uh, yeah, yeah, you've got the book. Why don't you go look it up, dear listeners? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but also, well, wait, well, wait. <laughs> it's on the money page on the Swissy Wikia as well. I always have trouble finding it because I, I don't think of like oh the money page for the strictly non money goods, but it's there and it's great. We referenced it a little bit when we talked about spice because we wanted guidelines on how to price spice. And you can actually find spice on this table along with quite a few other things. I'll read off just a few. There's a good breadth of very generic items on here. Um, I'd be hard pressed uh, finding something that didn't fit into one of these categories. There's a common animal, 100 credits, exotic animal, 2000 credits, precious art, 10,000 credits, common art, 100 credits, common quality, exotic food, fuel, gems of various types, 10 creds for a holovid, metals of varying qualities and value, a kilogram of precious metal running you 10,000 credits, common spice for 1,000 for a kilo, uh, and a liter of water runs you one credit. There's nothing on there about like um, like military goods or anything, or like uh, tactical information? or. Ooh, you know, that's a great point. Uh, information is notably missing from this list. Because when you were talking about it, you mentioned uh, the animals, and I immediately thought of the Bad Batch. There's an episode where they save a um, a baby rancor, I believe. Not just any baby rancor. Do you know who that rancor grows up to be? Is that Jabba's rancor? That's Jabba's fucking That's rancor, really baby. I loved that. That's really funny. I don't remember how I came to that revelation. It might have just been something online, but <laughs> I think the name, the name, I knew the name of Jabba's rancor, which I'm lost now, and then they, they like say, oh, his name is... Saved by clones, killed by a Jedi. <laughs> Shit, that's poetic. <laughs> um, it's like poetry, it rhymes. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, but there's also an episode of the Bad Batch where they go to the battle droid factory to steal tactical information from yes. uh, one of the discarded tactical droids. Absolutely. And that that's something where you could I could definitely see that being a trade good, even though it doesn't quite fit that table. You yeah, know? if I was in that situation where I really needed to determine the value of a piece of information... I would look at this list and be like, okay, is this information as valuable as a piece of precious art, a semi-precious gem, um, spice? (laughs) I guess I would try to gauge the impact that information has on the story and compare it to what luxury item would have a similar amount of impact. And how important that information is to the players or to an NPC. Exactly. Again, we're in a total, you know, beep, beep, here we go. It's the 2022 GM (laughs) Fiat. Uh, with luxury deluxe package and leather seats, heated seats, heated seats. Oh, oh! You ever been in a nice car with a good heated seat? Absolutely, oh, I have. So nice, fine. Uh, Corellian leather. Uh, mm. Corellian leather sounds fucking awful. Actually, now that I think about it, have you seen Corellia? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like fucking white worm, like like silkworm leather oh, or something gross. Oh, no. worm leather. <laughs> worm leather. You can't open the sunroof ever, or it'll just disintegrate. <laughs> The 2022 GM Fiat. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, Sam, I like trade goods a lot, and I want you to ask me why. Why do you like trade goods? I'm so glad you asked. When you give your party anything, especially rewards, it should lead to new and different storytelling opportunities, right? I mean, you really shouldn't do anything that doesn't lead to those. If you do anything besides that, you're a shit GM and your players are faking how much they like you. Disguise your sandbox game as uh, just a place to 
throw more stories at your players by giving, oh, wow, you found a gold mine, but it's owned by the huts. Like, <laughs> always. Everything's a plot hook all the time. So money is a plot hook, kind of. We alluded to that earlier. Money gives players freedom to make choices about their resources and their power level in the game. Eventually, they will accumulate enough money to get something they want, and then they will go to a merchant, and then maybe that merchant has a problem that the party can help with. Maybe that merchant is missing. Maybe that merchant needs some help around the farm. Maybe their POS is down. They can't take cash right now. (laughs) (laughs) You got to go find the repair droid has been (laughs) hung up at his other job. (laughs) Exactly. You get it. And that's great. That's a cycle that works very well. It's proud and proven and is, you know, the basis of games like D&D. However, what if I told you there was a way to make rewards more Barbie, more story hooks per square inch? Let's cut out the middleman. No more cash. It's all plot hooks. You get rewarded with plot hooks. You fight for plot hooks. That's all you get. (laughs) With money, like I said, there's not always a big impetus to go to the merchant in a timely manner. You need to accumulate credits, and at higher levels, that can take a long time. If the party's saving for a ship... It's going to be a few missions before they have enough to actually go to the plot hook place to get the ship. Oh, and then you also run into the situation where many higher level parties usually have all the gear they need or want or even know about. You know, what do you give the party that has everything? Like I said, trade goods have story barbs, story hooks. The reward itself can be valuable, but it can also be inconvenient for the party. Yeah, let's say you get gifted a... A luxury condo on on Coruscant, but it's it's filled like a bounty hunter was looking for that condo and wanted to buy it first, but they already gave the deed away to you. Now you're being hunted by a bounty hunter for Over, this condo. <laughs> that's like I, love, I really like that because like him being a bounty hunter has nothing to do with the conflict whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, it's just that he wants that condo. <laughs> he just really likes that condo, but he's got the skills to take it from you. Is what it is. Very, it's always sunny. I feel like that feels like an always sunny episode. You're absolutely correct. Always sunny is a great place to get scoundrel story hooks. I'm not kidding. <laughs> if you haven't seen Always Sunny in Philadelphia and you can stomach you know, darker, cruder humor, absolutely get into that shit. You will never run out of ideas for a scoundrel campaign. I promise you. They're just awful people. They're just They're horrible, really horrible awful people. people. But the inconvenience can drive the party to convert these resources to cash sooner. Certain trade goods are super valuable and can also cause interesting role-playing opportunities. I wrote down a few examples here that I was particularly proud of. A planetary warlord rewards the party generously with some exotic livestock found only on his planet that fetch a small fortune on the galactic market. They're smelly, they take up a massive amount of cargo space, and uh uh-oh, they chew through power couplings. Um, Rebels has a good, uh, they use the, the mining pigs that inflate. <laughs> yes, it does. That was, God, that, I, I love that episode, even though the pigs are a little weird. But yeah, those come up more than once, or at least like across, three times. Yeah, they, there's, were they, called, they had a weird name, too. They were just called, like... They're just mining pigs or something mining weird pigs. like that. Yeah, they can, Hondo loves them, that's Hondo, what it is. Yeah, <laughs> they're cute. And just, Lando loves them, actually. That's right, he does. God, yeah. Oh, man. Because apparently they're really convenient for mining rare metals. Yeah, they're doing like a truffle pig thing, but yeah. sci-fi, and I liked that a lot. And the, the inflation just fucking hilarious. But yeah, absolutely. You know, just because it's a reward doesn't mean it can't have some catches. And catches, as every good storyteller knows, are the fuel for the fire, baby. Consider the party has gained a hut's favor, and they're showered in semi-precious metals and gems. These items are big 
heavy and much more easily snatched up by a rival bounty hunter than a simple credit chip. Say the, for some circumstance, maybe a celebratory feast, the party's reward is left unattended in some dark corner of a hut's palace. Once you've had your fill of chicken and wine, you go to check on your stash and thanks gone. Those Huddy's chickens look fucking disgusting, by the oh, way. Like, oh, chicken. man. <laughs> I, I love the idea of a hut giving you, like, a really inconvenient gift. Like, a solid, like, a, a gold cast statue of me. <laughs> Gem-encrusted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a solid gem-encrusted statue of the hut itself, and it weighs... Like a hundred pounds. Yeah, but it's, it's worth a million credits, of but course. you gotta find someone to buy it. <laughs> Precisely. A senator is grateful for the party's protection and rewards our heroes with a precious piece of fine artwork with deep cultural meaning. The party is soon contacted by an art collector with nefarious ties, be it the Sis, Black Sun, or whatever other baddies you might like. And who knows what lengths he'll go to get his white whale. I like that. Thank you. I lo- again, it's, uh, you know, rewards are just more excuses to throw more plots at the players. Anything <laughs> you have in your back pocket, you're like, oh, I really want to run this campaign, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. Oh, just, oh, look, you've got it. You've won a, like spam email. You want a free mansion and go check it out. Oh, it's filled with Minox. Ah. <laughs> Tucking a plot hook into a like in-universe spam email is, is pretty good. That's a big brain move, I think. Sam. We alluded to the looting problem. It was either last episode or the one before. A brief summary. The looting problem is described by some people who are new to Game Mastering Swissy, usually with groups that are familiar with D&D and the like. Help! My players won't stop looting stormtroopers. They're rich as all dickens, and I don't know how to stop them. Of course, the solution is that looting is not really a thing we see much in Star Wars, so it's really not a thing we'll see a whole lot of in Saga Edition if you run it right. You can discourage this behavior by putting time limits, by limiting your character's ability to sell the things they loot. It's hard to take something off of a dead body and sell it to someone in earnest without them being concerned of its origin, especially things like Stormtrooper armor. And if you're worried, and if pressuring your players into not spending a lot of time in a location uh, to loot Stormtroopers is too much of a hassle, you could always do... um, Tatooine's got Jawas. Jawas do the looting before they get a chance to. Precisely. And we know how quick Jawas can be. I love in the, um, I think it's the Mandalorian. Uh, yeah, it's in the Mandalorian. No, sorry. Book of Boba Fett featuring the Mandalorian. <sighs> the episode of the, of the Book of Boba Fett where he talks about the Jawa, like climbing underneath a, a pike, like ship and just stealing something and rolling out <laughs> from underneath it. It's exactly. really fucking funny. Classic freaking Jawas. Yeah. Those Jawas work fast and they will work faster than your players. And of course, if all else fails, you can just sit down with your players and be like, Hey guys, the looting isn't really like tonally what I'm going for in this game. It's not really covered by the rules. Uh, just explain that we don't see looting in star Wars. Like I said, last episode, Luke doesn't stop Han on the death star and say, wait, the Z11s catch a great price on the black market. I love that, though. <laughs> um, well, here's one thing that D&D has that Star Wars doesn't. Mm. Bags of holding. Yes. D&D is made for looting. That game is that game was based on looting. Precisely. Star Wars does not have we don't have magical bags that hold our things for us. Nope. If you are running the weight restrictions as written, your party will run out of room for looting pretty quickly. You can only wear, like, two sets of Stormtrooper armor at once before it starts getting inconvenient. Seriously. <laughs> I'd say one. You could argue one And also. we're not talking about the cod piece. 
Team God pieces. Um, friction. But like, oh, that's a good way to to encourage this, turn this loot problem into a, a story solution. Yeah. Jawas take all the loot and flee. Now the player's like, oh, I kind of wanted that loot, though. Go chase down some Jawas. The Mandalorian does it a lot, too. Yeah. He's always chasing down Jawas. It's true. That's like the first half of the first season. <laughs> Sam, you've done a great job guiding us down this river of knowledge to the point I've been wanting to get at. Equipment can serve as a delightful reward. Uh, while not exactly looting some sort of unique or meaningful weapon, be it to the players themselves or their own characters is a fantastic reward and easily slots right in to the credit budget you've been given to reward your players. Now you could reward them with just a standard blaster rifle and call it good, but the game gives us a few methods to make things a little zestier, spicier. As I always say, every episode gear templates are the spice of life. Every episode, huh? Every episode. Steven, what, I'm I'm a newborn child. I was born yesterday. Okay. Um, barely. Goo Gaga. Goo Goo Gaga. I've barely got my teeth wrapped around this this soft little chewy ring I have. Um, what's a gear template? Glad you asked, Sam. Gear templates were introduced in the Knights of the Old Republic campaign guide, and they are essentially a set of stats that you can apply to a desired object. There's general templates that apply to both armor and weapons. There's armor templates. I'll give you one guess what those apply to. Same with weapon templates. There's also vehicle templates. We won't be touching on vehicle templates today. I kind of want to zoom in mostly just on the strictly gear templates. But let's go over a couple examples because these can get quite fun. All right. So I've picked out here the Bothan weapon template to serve as a, our standard example. This is a fairly popular one, and I think you'll see why. So this can be applied at the GM's discretion to really any weapon they please. Uh, each weapon template tells you specifically what weapons it can be applied to. And I'll get into that in just a second. Um, players don't have a way to apply these to gear. Yeah, they're, they're like, sure. think of them as like loot modifiers. They're absolutely loot modifiers. Like if you play ARPGs and you're familiar with like getting a good drop from a boss or something, that's what these are. Uh, the Bothan template also notes it's manufactured by Bothans, in case you were wondering. Uh, it modifies the cost of the applied item by 10% or 1,000 credits more, whichever is higher than the base item. It's applicable to any weapon with an ion or stun setting. There's a little bit of flavor text here. The Bothans have developed methods of subduing targets without killing them. Bothan manufacture weapons deal plus one die of damage when set to stun or when dealing ion damage, but deal minus one die of damage when not set to stun or dealing ion damage. So That's cool. Go. Have a assassin or bounty hunter in your party that wants to up their stun damage. Well, baby, maybe toss them a Bothan weapon sometime and they'll think it's fucking sick. There's also armor templates, Sam. Have you picked that one you wanted to cover? Yeah, I want to talk about the Mandalorian armor template I and not just because... To. My character, Atorn, in Zero Distance is a Mandalorian. <laughs> the Mandalorian armor template is manufactured by the Mandalorian's organization. Uh, the cost is 30,000 credits more than the base item, and it's applicable to any armor. Uh, Mandalorian armor is constructed of a rare iron alloy, favored for its strength and durability, as well as its ability to turn away lightsaber attacks. The Mandalorians guard the secret of producing armor made from this material, making it especially rare in the galaxy. Um, I assume this sort of flavor text is from before we got 
more intricacies about Beskar and stuff like that. Probably. I know Legends covered quite a bit of Beskar, but I mean, anyone, I <laughs> I have a theory. Anyone who's looking at the Mandalorian gear template is going to know their Mandalorian lore and is going to apply it <laughs> judiciously in their campaign. Um, it says the Mandalorian armor template is typically applied to battle armor or heavy battle armor. But as I said earlier, you can apply it to any armor if you wanted to. A suit of armor with the Mandalorian armor template has its equipment bonus to fortitude defense increased by one. Additionally, if the wearer has damage reduction, they can apply its benefit against attacks made by lightsaber. In some eras, particularly during the Mandalorian Wars, the armor alone grants favorable circumstances on persuasion checks made to intimidate. Now, for those who don't know, there is Beskar-based armor in Swissies. There's a few different, uh, well, there's only one Beskar-based, of course, but there's many Mandalorian armors, uh, depending on what sort of era you're working with. Uh, the Beskargum comes in light, medium, and heavy varieties. I wanted to point out the Beskargum because it basically has the same things that this has, except it gets two additional equipment upgrades. That's I true, and I think it may have some goodies built in. What am I? I'm, I'm talking like we can't just look it up right now. <laughs> I do. You know, what's funny is that the Mandalorian armor template uh, only sometimes gives you favorable circumstances on persuasion checks. Whereas Beskargum always gives you favorable circumstances <laughs> on on um, intimidation checks. I think that's that's just our good friend the GM Fiat shining through. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. Yeah, Beskargum proper gives. You're right. It's always not not just sometimes. <laughs> not just so sometimes, funny. but always. Oh no, I was wrong. Yeah, there, there's no goodies in uh, included with the Beskargum, but you do get those two free upgrades. Even you might be thinking about the Mandalorian jetpack, which is a personal favorite. That has a it's a dual geared jetpack with a missile launcher and a synthrope dispenser. That's correct. I was thinking of the Mandalorian jetpack. Um, I love the Mandalorian gear template because you can take any suit of armor and Mandalorian it up. Your character is a Mandalorian pilot, and he's begun his personal journey to claim his birthright that is a suit of Beskar armor. Difficult to do in, in our current era. We're playing in three uh, ABY around Empire Strikes Back time, so Empire uh, is in full swing. The Beskargum is cool, right? It's a powerhouse. I mean, any Mandalorian character in Swissy is probably going to want Beskargum. My problem is that it didn't really have much to offer a Mandalorian pilot. So I was like, oh, what's the what, what, what's the what's the catch here? There's plenty of Mandalorian pilots in lore. I, um, not Gar Saxon, but um, the other guy, the, the ones from Concord Dawn. Yeah. yeah. Skull leader, whatever his name was. <laughs> yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, he was a full blown Mandalorian pilot. Absolutely. He was. So I I pulled up the armored flight suit. I noticed its stats were somewhat similar to light and medium Beskargum. I slapped on the Mandalorian gear template to that bad boy. And there you go. That's a suit of Beskar fit for a Mandalorian pilot. That's super cool. Uh, honorable mention, the prototype gear template can make some really crazy fucked up stuff, especially if you mix in some tech specialist upgrades. If you're curious about making a bonkers weapon that maybe a whole campaign is centered on or a whole adventure, look into that prototype gear template. I promise you won't regret it. It's also the Jawa weapon template which is a homebrew piece by our good friend Lil Literalist. I had no idea he made this. Uh, Sam, have you heard of this before? No, I'm news to me. This is like, I, I've always wanted like a Junker template, and but there isn't one uh, for uh, weapons, at least, and, and armor. But there totally is one for um, vehicles, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, I'll just read here. Uh, the template's a weapon template manufactured by the Jawas. The cost is 
50% credits less than the base item. That's great. <laughs> and it's applicable to any weapon. The text reads, Java scavengers piece together weapons and gear from any materials they can find, often producing them at discount compared to other manufacturers. However, their quality is often shoddy, making these weapons unreliable. On an attack roll of a natural one, a Java weapon becomes disabled until it's repaired. Keep in mind, that's a flat 5% chance at all times for this weapon to go booky on you. That's great, though. If a natural one is rolled on a grenade-like weapon with this template, then the weapon explodes, automatically hitting the attacker. No surrounding squares are affected. This is considered an area attack. I love the idea of just someone buying their thermal detonators from Jawas and they just... <laughs> Literally blows up in their <laughs> yeah, face. Yeah, exactly. Well, you get what you pay for, right? I guess so. Uh, Jawa, especially when it comes to Jawas. It says here, Jawa grenades are too cumbersome to fit inside a grenade launcher. As well. Hmm. Uh, little literalist, you didn't send this in, but I'm glad I stumbled across it because it's really cool. Uh, this is hosted on the wiki, of course, uh, well marked clearly as a homebrew template. Use it your own discretion. But, uh, this is pretty simple stuff. Yeah, no, I'd use it. Yeah. hundred percent. I'd run it. No problem. Absolutely. I'm running it right now. Steven, what if I want to use a rifle with a, with a different stock? What if I, what if I want a scope? What if I want something cool? I don't want a special gun. I want my gun, but I want it to be cooler. All right, all you fucking mall ninjas, listen up. We love putting, you know, we all played COD when we were kids. We loved putting scopes on and all the new tube, dude, and all the uh, uh, flashlight. Totally can do it in Swissy. It's very easy to do, in fact. Equipment upgrades are a wonderful world that I've sung the praises of many a time on the pod. Um, we won't go in depth this time. This is not an equipment upgrades episode. This is a rewarding your players episode. Uh, equipment upgrades, just like gear templates, are a fantastic way to further tweak and customize a piece of gear that you're handing out as a reward. Uh, perhaps this isn't just any E11 blaster rifle. This is a special prototype E11 with a night vision targeting scope carried by a weapon specialist that the party happened to do away with. With a retractable stock, obviously. Yeah, of course, because you got to make those attacks of opportunity. Come on. Exactly. Uh, another equipment upgrade I'd like to point out for making unique items is dual gear, of course. Uh, we could probably do a whole episode on dual gear, but if you wanted something very unique, like Ezra's lightsaber, where it's ion pistol and or lightsaber. Like, um, or maybe like one of the machine guns from Gears of War with the chainsaw just attached precisely. to it. Precisely. <laughs> dual gear is an easy way to make some very unique combinations. It's also kind of the way to go if you want to, like, attach, like, a light, like, a rod to a to a rifle or pistol. Yeah, I'm going to use my dual gear upgrade slot on that. It's your only option. <laughs> There's no light. There's no, like, flashlight, I think. Buddy, the... I wear goggles with, <laughs> with flashlights <laughs> attached to them. <laughs> I've got a floodlight attached to my armor <laughs> on the front. <laughs> you can do that. There's an item just for that. Thank you guys for listening to the Dark Times podcast. As a part of the show, we'd like to thank you for your support and thank you for listening. Of course, like we always say, this is a community podcast. You, listener, are as every much part of the show as Sam or I. And as such, I'd love to invite you to reach out and ask us to feature something on the show. Feature yourself on the show. Record something. You talking about an aspect of Swissy you enjoy, a favorite piece of gear, anything, really. We'd love to Love to center you on the show. Absolutely. Or if you have a build you make or a, like little list us, if you have a homebrew item you've made that you're really proud of, we'd love to hear about it. It's all about what this system has made you feel like you want to do creatively. Does that make sense? Of course. A little wordy. No, I think it works. 
um, RPGs are like my, I mean, there's artists out there. there. There's people who build models. You know, I feel like RPGs, Swissy especially, are my primary creative outlet. And and I think you feel a similar way. And that's what brought us together to make this podcast. Yeah. A special yeah. shout out to our patrons. Uh, you guys especially make it all possible. About 90, 95% of our hosting costs are covered directly by our patron contributions. That money doesn't even go to our pockets. It just goes straight off to the hoster. Uh, and we really, really appreciate your efforts. We got some cool stuff coming to the Patreons soon. Yeah, Stephen um, and I have been working hard on a our own little Dark Times module. Uh, Stephen's got his hex crawl guide up there. It's yep. really cool. Uh, we just recently finished in the last few weeks or so. Uh, we finished our um, pre-gen character like handout guides. Yeah, they're all stylized like the book as well, they which look I think really, really nice. Um, those, those are going to be up there pretty soon. I just got to finish fully formatting them all and putting them up there. Yeah, convention season hit us at a weird time, and things have been a little crazy up in our personal lives here. But I think we're finally coming down, cooling down into a nice chill summer. Yeah, so the the Patreon's in the description under the support the show link there. Don't forget to reach out to us via email, darktimesswse at gmail.com, or reach out to us on Twitter at darktimesswse. Review us on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Tell your friends. Seriously. Tell someone. If you told someone about the show, write in. I will shout you out on the show. And I'll shout them out, too. That'd be cool. Oh, yeah. Double the shout-out. Double the shout-out. Twice the pride, double the fall. I don't know if that's quite the right quote. That's not applicable here. (laughs) One time, one <laughs> share the show with one friend, get two shout outs. That's cool. That's BOGO, baby. <laughs> All right, let's get you back in the show. Steve and I had such a great time last week making that hazard with you that I figured this week, instead of making a build like I was going to and should have, uh, <laughs> I decided <laughs> that we were going to design a piece of equipment off the cuff. That's a great call. I, I think that's smart. Um, I don't know shit about designing equipment, but uh, yeah, there's not any rules for this. No. And homebrew equipment is generally poorly received by the community, but uh, I think it, we can take a crack at it. In the, in the, in the words of Rodney Copperpot, see a need, fill a need, my man, that Rodney Copperpot voiced by Ewan McGregor in the robots movie. 2007. Oh, I thought you were going to say Rodney I circled Thompson. it. I circled it back around to Star Wars, baby. I found a way. Hell yeah. See a need, fill a need. Fantastic. So uh, we were looking over tools and we realized that there was a hole that could be filled here in the tools section of the general equipment. Yeah. We thought about making a weapon, but there's a lot of weapons in Swissy and just about every permutation of every weapon type has pretty much been explored in one way or another. In fact, we sat around for 20 minutes thinking of weapons we'd seen on screen that hadn't been already done in SAG edition and we could not find anything. We looked at what was it? Singing birds, whistling, whistling birds, birds, uh, the inquisitorious lightsaber all been done. Yeah. <laughs> but we got something unique that we don't think anyone's seen before. The lift rifle is a licensed tool. It'll run you 2000 credits with a weight of six kilograms manufactured by Sora sub. This tool saw widespread use on remote planets with industrious populations where droid workers may be impractical or, otherwise prohibitively expensive it is capable of lifting objects suspending them in air with minimal strain on the operator it has notably high energy demands requiring an oversized energy cell that's worn on a harness as a result the user cannot wear medium or heavy armor during operation this tool was banned by the empire after its weapon potential was realized during a short-lived foundry workers revolt on raxus prime poor guys though it's still seen in the odd warehouse and outer rim shadow port I love this, Steven. This is a really cool thing we've designed. Seriously, um, this is super fun put together. Let's break down how it works mechanically. We talked about what it is. We talked about how cool it is. 
Uh, let's show them why it's cool. <laughs> totally. So the normal operating mode is a standard action to lift a huge or smaller object within six squares of the user. Once an object is lifted, you can walk around with it as if it were weightless and set it down in front of your square as a free action. Did we say it's a large tool? We didn't say it's large. Okay, so just for reference, it is a large yeah, tool. Yeah, forgot to say that at the top. This is large. Yeah. Just so you know. Two hands to hold. A medium, medium creature requires two hands to wield this tool. Damn right. Now, here's where it gets real spicy. A skilled or revolutionarily minded user can take advantage of the tool's repulsor and repel a lifted object with deadly force. As a standard action, make a mechanics check. The result of the check determines the maximum size of the target you can lift, and we'll include a table below here. The lifter rifle has baked in safeguards against targeting living creatures. I like that that doesn't apply to droids, though. It still includes droids. You can target droids with this bad boy, which is, I mean, that's just... That's hilarious. And I, I'd rule that you'd probably be able to target like a, a cage with a creature in it or yeah, something like if, that. If a creature is contained within an object this can lift, I'd say that works. I wouldn't overthink that too much. You can hurl the object at or drop it on a target in range if your mechanics check exceeds your target's reflex defense. Both the target and the launched object take damage determined by your mechanics check result. It's a DC 15 to launch an object up to small size, and it'll deal 1d4 points of damage upon impact. DC 20 for a medium object, which deals 2d4. DC 25 for a large object with 3d4 damage. And finally, DC 30 to launch a huge object and deal 44 damage. I know what you're thinking. Oh, a huge object, only 44 damage? This thing is not meant to launch them with lethal force. No, it is not designed for this purpose. This is merely a contrivance of its operation by uh, mechanically and creatively minded folks. Yeah, the many. <laughs> Could it be modified to launch objects at a higher velocity? That's up to you. Yeah, it's up to your GM Fiat. How Maybe. far you're willing to take that vehicle. Take this weapon or object or t- <laughs> a tool. Uh, obviously, those of you paying attention and who know your mechanics well... This is absolutely a hacky implementation of a much weaker move object as an homage to the beloved physics gun of Half-Life fame. Yeah, well, like we say, cheat line steel, take anything, you know, you don't have to take something that's in Star Wars. Um, in fact, we found very little success trying to do that Sam, just now. <laughs> uh, just off air, Sam was like, what if we did a Star Wars physics gun? And... We ran with it, and here we are. You'll be able to see this on the weekend. I'm honestly super proud of this. This I, is super cool. I really like this. We really, we kind of hyped ourselves up to it, because when we first pitched it, I was like, I don't know, that sounds kind of weird. Is that, that might be a little bit too out there. But the more we fleshed it out. And the more it makes sense in universe, the more I particularly enjoy this implementation. It's cool. I mean, and especially my favorite part is probably including that's been made illegal by the empire yes because that just makes it make more it's like oh well why don't we see those all the time they would use them all the time or something it's like no no they're illegal now so uh you can't use them (laughs) (laughs) i guess the licensing would change depending on the era yeah if you're in an empire dominating era change the licensing to illegal um otherwise licensed is perfectly it's like a think of a forklift baby absolutely forklift but yeah it's a handheld for it's like a a harness forklift i really like the concept of super sick that's our show this week, Stephen. I don't have anything to surprise you with, sadly. I don't oh. have uh, this, this for time, you know. You mean I'm I'm not at risk of losing my life this week? Is no, this saying? week you are safe. Oh. Uh, next week we will do two in a row. Okay. Oh <laughs> shit! Really? <laughs> no, oh, I'm no. no, that would be awful. I wouldn't do that to you. Um, I don't have any trivia this week either. Uh oh, they're gonna be mad. 
They're not going to be mad. We made a cool thing and we're putting we, it on the wiki. You're right. We made a very cool thing. You're right. You're I hope right. they're not mad. No, they won't be mad. They understand. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Dark Times Podcast. The show's produced and edited by me, Sam. Steven's my co-host. Uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE or email us DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Review us on there, too. Send your review in. We'll shout you out on the show. Uh, tell a friend. We'll shout you both out on the show. Uh, Steven, do you have a quote for us this week? Never get between a Mandalorian and a weapons package. <laughs> Sabine Wren. Uh, yeah, I was like to say, that's a Sabine Wren for yeah. sure. <laughs> have a good night, everyone. Good night, everybody.